Buddhist Geeks. Seriously Buddhist, seriously geeky. Episode 124, You Will Get the Dharma You Need. In this episode, Tammy Simon, founder of the spiritual media company Sounds True and student of Vajrayana teacher Reggie Ray, shares with us the candid and heartfelt details of her spiritual journey. Buddhist Geeks is supported largely by the generosity of our listeners. If you like what we're doing, please consider making a one-time or monthly recurring donation by visiting BuddhistGeeks.com forward slash donate. Hello, Buddhist Geeks. This is Ryan Olke, and we have a special guest in the studio, someone who we've been dying to interview for quite a while. And Vince Horn is here with me. Yeah, we're here today speaking with my boss. And uh, <laughs> excited. This better be a good interview, buddy. <laughs> Tammy <laughs> Simon. So thank you, Tammy, for joining us. Yeah, if I come out injured or anything, Vince, you know. <laughs> no workers comp here. There's okay. no workers geeks comp. <laughs> I believe that. Tammy is the founder of the company Sounds True. It's a spiritual media company, or at least that's how we've been talking about it lately. And She's also a longtime Vajrayana practitioner and now teacher. Is that right? You've been teaching yeah, w- some retreats lately, yeah? Yeah, I would say a senior teacher within Dharma Ocean. Within Dharma Ocean, which is the spiritual community of Reggie Ray's. Correct, yeah. Cool. And we've interviewed Reggie Ray. Too, yeah. That was a wonderful That was interview. fun. And actually, so uh, one time when Vince and I got to hang out with you, you were telling us about the story about how you met Reggie and became a student. We would love to sure to hear that and go a little bit more into it. Sure. So Reggie came to Sounds True to record a series, an audio learning series, about seven years ago on Buddhist Tantra. And he came into the studio, and it's, it was actually pretty amazing what happened, in that he sat down to speak the first session, and nothing really happened. And at the time, a friend of mine who was also working at Sounds True, a gentleman named Matt Licata, was with me. And Reggie was like, you know, it's too conceptual a field. Could, could you get Matt some beers? So it's like 10 in the morning. So we go out and we get, you know, a six-pack for Matt. And he's like, you know, you guys need to suspend judgment if I'm going to be able to do this. And I'm like, well, I'm a producer. I'm supposed to have my sort of critical faculties at work, but I'm also willing to just kind of wait here patiently. So went on and on. And after about two and a half hours, Reggie actually had not yet said a reasonable sentence. And I looked at Matt and Matt had studied with Reggie at the University of Colorado. And, you know, I'm writing him his notes like, is this going to work? Is Reggie okay? Are you okay? Because now he's had like four or five beers. And uh, I'm thinking, you know, eventually, who knows? Well, you know, maybe the program will be canceled. And Reggie said, you know, hey, can I just take a nap and be alone for a while? Just turn off all the lights, leave me on the couch and give me an hour. And this is kind of a personal story, but it's, a, it's amazing and it's true, which is I came back down in an hour and he sat there and we didn't even know each other. And Reggie was actually crying. And he said, you know, I realize what the obstacle here, which is I need to give all the royalties away for this program. And I was like, well, that's, I don't care who you give the royalties to. Can we record now? And he was like, okay. I mean, he was having a big emotional moment. For me, it's like, okay, just sign right here. We'll give the royalties away to XYZ organization. Can we start recording? And he's like, yeah, I think we can start now. And we sat down and he then recorded three complete seamless sessions, 80 minutes long, without Matt or I getting up or leaving the room. 
And it was amazing. And it was the beginning of this audio series. So that's the way the program began. And we worked together over the course of about a week. And at one point he said to me, so tell me about your meditation practice. And I was like, well, you know, I've been a Vipassana meditator and I started out with Goinka in India when I was 21, these 10-day intensive retreats. And since then, you know, I worked with Thich Nhat Hanh for a while and different things. And, and, you know, basically I'm not very regular, Reggie, to be honest. And he's like, okay, what's the practice that you do? And I'm like, well, basically I, I follow my breath and I work with physical sensations. And, and he's like, how long have you been doing that, Tammy? And I said, well, you know, I, I've been doing it off and on, not regularly, for about, you know, maybe, I guess it's close to 20 years. And he said, uh, okay, are you ready for an additional instruction? And I'm like, yeah. And he said, so here's the problem. Your mind is actually bigger than your practice. And it was when he said that, it was a moment for me. And he's like, so what you're doing is you're bringing your mind back to an object again and again and again. But the natural openness of your mind is actually bigger than your practice so you don't want to practice because why would you want to put yourself into a smaller space than you are naturally and i was like good point he's like you need to start working with space so you need to start lifting your attention from the object and letting everything that is happening all sensations all inputs be there as well as an object. And you know, he explained it very simply. He's like, you know, you can use like a dimmer switch image if you want, which is what I heard as he was talking. So you can have, you know, 10% of your attention on whatever the object of meditation is. And 90% of your attention can be just mm-hmm. open and in space. And if you're really calm and not discursive, then just be with everything that's occurring. You don't need an object. Drop the object. And I was like, oh my God, I've recorded... 300 programs with meditation teachers and been to how many retreats and nobody had given me this very simple instruction. It was so simple and so meaningful and so important in terms of changing the way that I worked just with every single breath, just that. So I said, Reggie, can I, can I talk to you a little bit more, you know, at the end of this recording session? And we sat down and my friend Matt said to me, you know, Tammy, look, Reggie teaches Tibetan Buddhism. You're Miss Universal Everything. He's not going to work with you as a student, he's not going to, you need to follow a certain path, you know, blah, blah, blah. And I know you and you're miss mystic of the trees, universalist. And I said, look, I'm allowed to talk to him. He's been in the studio for a week. I can say whatever I want and see what happens. So I said, here's the deal, Reggie. Here's the deal. I don't want to do a nundro. I don't want to become a Tibetan Buddhist, but I need some help. <laughs> Let's just get down to it. I need some help. So I'm wondering, could I meet with you every once in a while and just report on how the practice is going and get your input? And he looked at me and he just said very simply, Tammy, you will get the Dharma you need. Just that sentence, very simple sentence. But uh, at that moment, I actually saw the image that I was turning a corner. There was like a way that I, I hadn't been around that corner before. And by turning that corner... I mean, I know that sounds dramatic, but this is what I felt. I would be okay. It's like the thing that my life had always been about and the reason I started Sounds True and what meant the most to me would actually someday be fulfilled. And until that moment when he said that, you'll get the Dharma you need, and I saw the turning of the corner, I think it was a question for me. So that was the beginning of my relationship with Reggie. Beautiful. Yeah. Thank you for sharing that. Yeah, I'd be interested in hearing because now I'm, my attention is very wrapped on on how things progressed after that. Like, what yeah. was it like 
Sure. Did you start working with him more often and start going on retreat with him? Or how did that sure. progress, your relationship? So I went to programs and, you know, I went to the Daten, which is a month-long program that he's taught every year for the past decade or so. And at one of the Datans, I actually saw this vision that he could teach the kind of meditation techniques that he teaches outside of the traditional Buddhist framework. And it's kind of a, a long story, but the gist of it was my partner in love, Julie, and I proposed to Reggie that he create a curriculum called Meditating with the Body, which would take these somatically-based awareness exercises that he teaches and introduce them to people who may or may not be interested in a formal training in Tibetan Buddhism. And so we proposed that we create a six-month home study course that has a retreat at the beginning and the end. And, and so we worked on that together, and I became quite close to him through that process because we went through the thinking of how do we design a six-month training program in the essence of these Tibetan yogic practices for a general audience. And this is uh, the Meditating with the Body program. is something that still continues. It's now in its sixth year. So meanwhile, he and I are working together. We're becoming closer. And he is teaching in various datans about taking refuge. And I said to Reggie, you know, um, I'm not sure I can take refuge because that would mean that I was committing to a specific tradition. And he said, don't do it unless it's right for you. Please don't do it. You're not called to it. Don't do it. And then the moment he said, don't do it, I was like, God, I really want to do it. I really, really want to do it. And, you know, everybody, all my friends took refuge and there I was left out and blah, blah, blah. And then I went and talked to him later and I said, you know, God, I'm just such a mess. I mean, I want to take refuge in the practice, but I can't because this was so important to me. And maybe the reason this was so important to me is that I was born Jewish. And in my family, the idea that I would even play when I was like six with young boys who were not Jewish, my mom would say, why don't you play with Jewish boys? I'm like, mom, I don't ask the guys on the playground whether or not they're Jewish when I tackle them and throw the football. It's not one of the questions. It doesn't even come up. And so there was just a way that I didn't want to be ever sort of hemmed in thinking that, and you know, this was part of the whole idea with, with Sounds True too, the company that I founded, was that there's this universal flow of fresh water that we can access and it can't be owned or controlled by anybody. Okay, so I'm telling this to Reggie, but that I want to take refuge, obviously, in this path and in this practice, and that I want to take refuge in him as my teacher because of our relationship and the love and the sense of devotion that I felt to him. And he said, well, Tammy, when you take refuge in the teacher, you're automatically taking refuge in all three jewels. The, you know, anytime you take refuge in any of the jewels, you're taking refuge in all three. And we can do a ceremony right here between you and me where you take refuge in the teacher. And I was like, wow, I love this. I'm getting like my own private refuge ceremony. So that, <laughs> you know, that appealed to, you know, the, the VIP in me, whatever. And so we, we have this ceremony and this was actually a funny moment because I looked him straight in the eye right before we did it. And I said, you know, Reggie, it's possible that if I kept looking, I would find a better teacher, like someone who's even better, who's like, you know, whatever, more realized and more whatever, you know, and I just, but for whatever reason, I mean, what a sort of weird snarky kind of thing to say, but I felt like I needed to say it. Like, it's possible that if I kept looking and he just looked at me and he said, Tammy, you can do that, but you might also die first. And I was like, okay, let's keep going. <laughs> Good response. <laughs> We've cleared the decks here. We've both communicated from our hearts and uh, 
forward we go. <laughs> you know, I could go on and on because actually each step of the way in my relationship with him, there has been a funny story. And me as kind of the, what would I call it? Skeptical and scared and not exactly trusting student. I mean, to say that I grilled him is an understatement of all time. Honestly, from the, from the very beginning, it was like, oh, you're being nice to me because you want something from me and you're giving me extra attention just so I can promote you. And, you know, I don't trust that and I don't trust having a teacher. And I mean, I went on and on and on. And, you know, Reggie was like, you know, Tammy, everything is an exchange. There's always an exchange of energy. So, yes, I'm giving you attention in a certain kind of way because of what's being exchanged between us. So, I mean, even that kind of my paranoia, I guess would be the right word, I was super paranoid from the beginning. It took a long time for our relationship to grow. I'd be interested in hearing where you feel now in your relationship, yeah. both to Reggie and also your, kind of your edge and practice right now. Well, in my relationship with Reggie, I think I came to a place where I see how he is both my teacher, and I feel I have a lot to learn from him about the practice, and he is my co-journeyer in that we're both serving the same lineage. And what I mean by co-journeyer is there are all kinds of ways that we can dialogue about things on a, on a totally mutual eye-to-eye level, whether that's relationships or business or money or uh, challenges in the world or challenges with people. I don't necessarily, when I'm having that kind of conversation with him, think, oh, he's my teacher, so I can only say certain kinds of things, or I can only take his wisdom, I can't offer mine. I mean, no, it's a mutual exchange. I know a lot about relationships and about business and all kinds of things, and I want to bring that to my dynamic with him, and I think it's something that he values. And so it's an interesting relationship in that there is definitely a hierarchical dimension to it, but there's also a total eye-level dimension to it, both. And then in terms of my practice, I have been doing my nundro, the thing that I said, of course, seven years ago <laughs> that I never wanted to do. And interestingly, what I have found is that I'm often more naturally drawn to more of a Mahamudra-style approach to practice. And that means that I'm more comfortable doing intensive body work and earth breathing and central channel work and working with looking directly at the nature of awareness than I am doing the form-based practice, which is repeating the mantra, et cetera, et cetera. And so what I found is that if I alternate and I follow my own inspiration about that, the practice can stay fresh mm. and interesting and engaged. Mm. And if I say, no, I have to like do a certain number of malas, et cetera, in order so that I can, you know, get to Abhisheka and blah, 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 then the whole thing just seems stupid to me. It's flat. It's ridiculous. It's dead. So I have to really trust my own feeling about it. And, you know, at one point, I said to Reggie, I don't like working with the text that you wrote because he translated and created a new Nundro text for his students. And it's a beautiful text. And I said, you know, the tradition of the Siddhas, which our lineage is a living continuity practice lineage of the Siddhas of India, they didn't go around with pages 
and repeat words from their teacher that you know were written on a sheet of paper. They practiced from inside out organically. And I go, I just, I can't do it. I can't, you know. And he just looked at me. He said, don't work with the text. And I was like, what? And he's like, you don't have to. Once again, the moment he said, you don't have to, I was like, oh, I, I kind of like that text. I might bring it out sometimes. And blah, blah. <laughs> I mean, the moment that I was free to relate to it the way that I wanted to relate to it. And so now when I sit down to practice, you know, the text is there and I may or may not look at it. That may not be what happens. I may not even do my nundro practice. I may just sit or I may lay down for a while and really focus on just relaxing and undoing my body because I've been so wound up that I actually can't even begin practicing in a genuine way because I need an hour just to undo. So I think for, for me, the edge is, is that it has to be real. It has to not be coming from the outside in. It has to be coming from the inside out. Or else, to me, it doesn't feel like I'm practicing with a devoted heart. It feels like I'm being some kind of good student or something, and I'm not really interested in that. Mm. So it sounds like there's some sort of intuitive element inside you that's guiding the Completely. thing. I mean, intuitive is a good word, but it's even more like making love, mm. which I don't know if you know if you want to call that intuitive. It's instinctual. It's totally felt. It's that... You go a little bit and then you get feedback and you go a little bit more and you breathe and you wait for the waves to come through and, and tell you what to do next. I mean, it's like that. What would you say the fruit of this past several years working with Reggie and finally turning that corner in some way, what, what have you felt the fruit of that has been for sure. you? Well, recently I was teaching a retreat on Salt Spring Island, which is north of Vancouver. And somebody asked me this question. He said, don't tell me about the aspiration of your practice. And, you know, often when I talk to people, they're always talking about what their aspirations are. Tell me what it's actually done. And I thought, well, why would I tell you about the aspiration? Of course I want to tell you about how I'm actually experiencing it. Well, I'm going to give a slightly long answer to say, first of all, there are two things. One, I talked a little bit about my relationship with Reggie and the love and the sense of him extending an arm to me and me taking it and that human connection that has been so inspiring to me. But then the second thing that I think has been the key element for me of this particular path over the last seven years has been that it's been totally body-based, somatically based. So the way I just described, you know, practice as a kind of making love with space, making love with reality. For me, I think that was what I needed for my meditation practice to explode with fire because before that and the image i had was just like a haystack going up and on fire as i'm trying to describe this to you i think before that it was more like i was kind of inching along something like that but there was never this sense of an organic unfolding supercharged process happening which is what i felt and i think the reason for me is that both of these elements the love element and the relational element and the body approach have been what I have needed. And part of it is, you know, I spend a lot of time, at Sounds True, being a publisher and a business person, thinking and solving problems. And yet, the greatest intelligence that I have, for me at least, is somatically received. That's really where I, first of all, connect to something that, has no boundaries between me and it. So if I'm not connected to the feeling of being totally supported 
by the earth and the chair below me, if there's some sense that I'm separate from that, then I can't really practice meditation. And I think I didn't know that before. So I was practicing kind of as a person perched on the earth. And through these Tibetan yogic exercises, I started practicing as an extension of the vibration of space and earth. So that's sort of the beginning point of the practice. And then it was just, you know, unfolding, unfolding, unfolding. So I feel like what the practice has given me, to finally answer your question, Vince, is more of myself. And what I mean by that is there's a way to access an infinite field of potentiality that then can come through this particular being and express itself in the world in a way that's natural, confident, and loving. And it's more myself, but I don't even know what that is, and I don't care. It's not like anything. It's just an expression of beingness that does have a uniqueness to it. I'm so much more available to it, and it's zooming through me, moving through me, kicking my ass. Um, I don't know 100%, but just from talking to Vince is that you very much obviously including your practice dig the Vajrayana and find it extremely helpful for you and so maybe for you to talk about how you see the Vajrayana this is I guess it's stepping a little well, bit I'm away gonna, from I'm your... going to answer your question obliquely sure because you know when Reggie said to me you know Tammy I want you this was a couple years ago I want you to well what happened was I said you know okay Reggie how can I help you you know which is a question that I've asked him repeatedly yeah. over the years you know what can I do to be of service whatever and he said at a certain point, the only thing you can do at this point, Tammy, is to teach. And he's like, I, I can help you more and you can grow more and you can help me more if you'll start teaching. And I said, well, you know, Reggie, I haven't read that many books on Buddhism and I don't even know if I understand the Vajrayana and you want me to go out and teach. And I said, well, I want to recommend some books for me to read so when people ask me hard questions, I'll have an, you know, blah, blah, blah. And, you know, this was a few years ago before it. And he said, first of all, you'll learn more from teaching than you will from reading. And he's like, you can read a whole book and you can get one good idea, but when you teach, you'll learn so much. And I saw this recently in Salt Spring because it was kind of like I was teaching myself about meditation. It was weird, meaning, first of all, I couldn't prepare, which was very awkward and strange. You know, I've worked with all of these different authors who have come to record programs It Sounds True, and I'm like, can I see your outline? Let's go over it. Is this a really logically put together curriculum? Oh my God, this person doesn't have a full left brain. I'm going to have to be like, you know, Tammy, my business card should say left brain for hire, yada, yada. And here I am going to teach my first residential retreat and I don't even have a note written. And I can't, like something in me just couldn't. So I had to go, I had to sit on the cushion, not knowing what the heck we were going to do or what I was going to say sit in the energy field of the lineage that I had lit up and invoked and trust that something would happen that would be beneficial. And all kinds of things happened. And I listened to what I said and I learned stuff as I was talking. So anyway, in answer to your question, part of what Reggie said to me was, Tammy, teach from your own experience. He's like, what makes a good teacher is somebody who talks from their own experience. And I made a vow, actually, that I would only teach what I knew from my own experience. Like I would never say anything. I would never answer a question. If I didn't know the answer, just I don't know the answer to that question. I would just speak from what I knew from my own 
seeing. That's awesome. When I read the stories of the Siddhas, I mean, everything you said, the intuition, the lovemaking, the speaking what you know, I mean, that's what the Vajrayata seems like to me. Yeah. So that's beautiful. Join us for the fourth annual Buddhist Geeks Conference, hosted in partnership with Mindful Cyborgs and Shambhala Sun from October 16th through the 19th in beautiful Boulder, Colorado. This year's conference will be exploring the convergence of Buddhism with modern culture and technology through informative keynote presentations, idea-packed TED-style talks, self-organizing community dialogues, and contemplative workshops and practice periods. This year's list of presenters includes the world's most quantified man, Chris Dancy, abbot of the village Zendo in New York City, Roshi Pat Enkyo O'Hara, and pragmatic Dharma provocateur, Daniel Ingram, as well as many others. For more information and to register, visit BuddhistGeeks.com conference. After nearly a year in private beta, the Buddhist Geeks Network is now open for any independent practitioners who want to engage in interdependent practice. You can find out more about the Buddhist Geeks Network by visiting BuddhistGeeks.network. And if you'd like to join the community and join us in regular social meditation practice or other events that we host there in the network, all freely offered, you're very welcome to do so, again, by visiting BuddhistGeeks.network. Love to see you there.